these stories called parables, is that they were such a mix of secular and sacred, such a mix of what was common yet unique, that they were almost impervious to attack. This was at a time when there were many voices being raised in reaction to what Jesus was doing. It was so powerful. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so there was a pushback time. So Jesus began to tell stories, winsome stories, stories of people's everyday, stories that really couldn't be attacked. If you went to um, Nebraska today, Nebraska, which has been called part of the breadbasket of our nation, and you went to its capital, Lincoln, and you looked on top of the Capitol building, you would see this image, this statue, this sower. Let's see another angle of him. So what if the ACLU came to Lincoln, Nebraska and said, you can't have that image on top of the building. It's a religious image. What would be just the normal defense, the effective defense? It'd be to look at them and say, it's a guy with a bag. You can't be against a guy with a bag. You understand what Jesus is doing here. He is embedding wisdom in something that is irrefutable because it was everyday life. And so as we look at these stories, let's keep in mind that he has a strategy. And the strategy is that against all of the argument, he's not gonna argue. He's not gonna waste his time in fruitless debate. Do you know how much of our time we spend in just reactionary argument and just how ineffective that is? I mean, if we would just wait for a little while in order to kind of see the whole picture, it, it, the argument would probably go away. But he said, she was reading this story online the other day, supposedly a true story. This guy at Domino's Pizza gets this angry phone call from somebody who's just had a pizza delivered. And the voice on the other end says, I cannot believe this. You guys sent me a pizza with no toppings, nothing, nada. Do you know what a pizza with no toppings is called? Bread. <laughs> the manager says, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. Please forgive us. You know, we'll make this, we'll make this right. Long silence on the other end. And then finally this meek voice says, oh, wait. I opened the box upside down. <laughs> you know, if you just wait a little bit, there's probably more to the story. And that's what Jesus did. When people were angry, he'd bend down and he'd write in the dirt. He wanted just to wait a little bit. And that's what he did with these stories. And so we come to this story of the sower. Because... When you're talking about impact, it's not the immediate impact that is most important. 
Who wins or loses immediately is not as important as what grows over time. Let me say that again. Who wins or loses immediately is not as important as what grows over time. So Jesus gives this very common image. You would walk in Palestine and you would see this all the time about a sower. Now let me clear up the mystery here. We're all sowers. That's what he's saying to us. And we have seed. And let me clear up the mystery as to what the seed is. The seed is the gospel by word, by action, by faith. And we're all to live that gospel. You see, he starts out like this. A sower went out to sow. It wasn't about what he was doing. It was about who he was. It's not about, not about us doing everything right. It's about who we are. And as he sowed, stop right there. I want you to see the method here. The method is you take the seed and you throw it everywhere. Now that, at first, doesn't seem to be very good stewardship, does it? I mean, shouldn't a farmer know where the good ground is and only plant the seed in that good ground so that he doesn't waste the seed? But yet here we have a story that says, essential, I want you to live your life with such reckless abandon. I want you to love so indiscriminately that probably 75% of what you do will be wasted. That's the bad news. The good news is the 25% that does take effect will produce more than you could ever ask or even dream. Why is he saying this to us? Why is he saying to us the realistic experience that most of what we do will be ineffective? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand and say, why do I have to do everything three times before it gets done? Well, that's kind of life, isn't it? That's kind of life. But the point is that we are to live life not trying to gauge our own strategy because you don't know for sure where that seed will take root and where it won't. You can't tell. Well, how many of you have ever said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I would never say anything about God to this guy, just make him mad. And you've already gauged you're not going to plant there. When there might be something going on in his life right now that a spoken word about God, he'd grab onto like crazy. You, don't, you can't gauge what will take effect in people's lives and what won't take effect. So, so to everybody. I've told you for a long time, and I told you specifically last week, we will spend the rest of our lives seeking out one or two types of people. Number one, we'll spend the rest of our lives either seeking out people who agree with what we have to say, or we'll be seeking out people who need what we have to offer. Don't just seek out people who agree with what you have to say. And you will never know those who immediately need right today because of their life circumstances, people who need what you have to offer. Just offer it. So, so this is what it says. Luke chapter 18, verse 5. It says, A sower went out to sow, 
his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Jesus, this is Jesus later in the, in the chapter explaining what he had just said. Then the devil comes, comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Four types of soil here. Number one, hardened. There are paths that you can still see in, in, in many of them in Israel and Palestine today that have just been walked so long, it's just hard as a rock. And, and, and the seed can't be planted. You know people who are hard as a rock. At least that's what they appear, appear in the, on the outset. You know people who have been so hurt and so callous over the years, they've decided to become cynical, partially for their own preservation. They've decided not to believe. They've decided to look at everything in the worst possible way. They've decided not to connect emotionally. They're very high-functioning, but they don't connect emotionally. You, you read the story this week, right, about, that, about the girl who helped her boyfriend commit suicide? It's just a mind-boggling story. This young man was going through depression, and he kept talking about committing suicide. And so, and so, and so when he started to go through it, he chickened out. He was doing it by carbon monoxide, and he chickened out. And she said to him, get back in the car. Get back in the car. She was found guilty for involuntary manslaughter because the judge had sense to say this. It doesn't matter if you were accomplishing your goals or helping him accomplish his goals. It was wrong. You don't do things that hurt people. You don't do things that can kill people. It was wrong. There are people who say, I was just doing my job. Remember Pilate? He knew Jesus was innocent. He said, I find no fault in this man. I wash my hands of this whole thing as if he could. I say, I leave it up to you. You do what you got to do. And he consigned him to death. He was so hard, and he could justify it in his mind. Well, I was just doing my job. Now, seed there doesn't sink in. It becomes the property of the devil. It says in John 10.10, 10, this is Jesus talking. It says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. There's, a, there's an alternative to this kind of life. And those of you who have become cynical, those of you who have become hardened because of the experiences of life, we understand that. And most of us would be in that same place if we lived through what you did, but don't live the rest of your life that way. There's a better alternative. You can become as a little child that's what Jesus said. You can be born all over again. You can give it a second shot. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, this is what Jesus said. It says, unless you become, as little children, unless you are converted, that is, I don't care how old you are, you can start life over again. You understand that? You can live life differently. Some of you are so 
tired of being mad. It's wearing you out. Some of you are so tired in looking at everything in the worst possible sense and being depressed all the time. You don't have to live like that. You can become converted like children and enter the kingdom of heaven. You can decide, you know, I'm going to trust God because I think he's got the, the best for me in store. That's an option. Well, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, let's go on to the next one. Wait, just this Einstein quote, I just saw this. The Einstein quote. Albert Einstein said this, for people who love mystery, and, and that's what stories are. This was the, also the genius of, of, of stories. He'd say, you know, the curious will go deeper into God, and the cynic will write it off and stay out. Therefore, they judge themselves. Einstein said this, Albert Einstein uh, said this in, in his book, um, The World as I See It. He said, the fairest, the, the, the fairest thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion that stands as a, at the cradle, as the cradle, I love the, this phrase, as the cradle of true art and true science, and I added, and true faith. And he who knows it not is as good as dead. Are you curious as to what God might have for you that's new? Become as little children. Here's the second category, the shallow. It says in, 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 in Luke 8, 6, it says, other seed fell on rocky soil as soon as it grew up. Now, let me tell you what rocky soil is. In, in, in Palestine, there's a lot of limestone. There's just a lot of, of sheet rock, so to speak. And the wind blows and dirt covers up that limestone. And so there may be a half an inch, there may be an inch of dirt that just covers up the rock. And so when a seed falls, it can germinate in that inch worth of soil, but it can't put down roots. And that's what it's talking about here. And as soon as it grew up, it germinated, it, it sprouted, but it withered away because it had no moisture. The roots couldn't go down. The sun, in another version of this, this parable, uh, the sun came out. And then he explains it. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in, time, in, in the time of temptation, they fall away. You know, life is hard. You know this, don't you? There's, there's no doubt that you're going to run into hardship. The doubt is, have you got the kind of faith that you've cultivated that will last through the hardship? That's, that's, that's the... I, I was doing a, a, a talk this. I was teaching Pat Morley's uh, Man in the Mirror Bible study. He's done this for like 31 years, and, and so he's... He's uh, off camping, and he asked me if I'd do this. He's a part of, he's a Northlander here. And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to do it. And, and so I said, what do you want me to talk about? He said, talk about the life of a pastor. All these guys have pastors, and they have no idea what the life of the pastor is like. I said, I'd, I'd be glad to do that. So, but I didn't want to just give a personal testimony. I just wanted to look up, you know, what pastors face and what they deal with and, and statistics on pastors. And, and I found the most interesting thing. He said, Pastors, like the, rest, like the rest of not pastors, the life they're living, 90% of you are living a life different than you expected to live. 
This isn't like you would expect it to be. And so it, I, I taught in seminary for at least a decade at Reformed Theological Seminary. And I taught practical theology. You can't teach enough to a young man or woman to come out of seminary, I just had men in this one, but you can't teach enough to equip them to, for what they're gonna face in, 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 the, in, the, in the parish, in the, in the congregation. And so 90% of them say, this isn't like I thought it was gonna be. Watch this, 50% of ministers just starting out won't last five years. They want, they had all the good intentions, all the good intentions, but man, they face the difficulties of a congregation. They only last five years, 50%. Listen to this stat. This comes from Barney. This isn't, this isn't what I just made up out of Reader's Digest. This is, do they still have Reader's Digest? Okay. Forty percent of people in professional ministry have thought seriously about quitting in the last three months. Forty percent have thought seriously about quitting in the last three months. Now, let me just ask you a question. Jesus used to do this all, all the time. You know, how much more is the likelihood for somebody who doesn't get paid for following God, for the challenges to uproot you and to, and, and to get you to quit. See, it's easy. It's easy to say, oh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to. It's hard to build a life that ensures the longevity of following Jesus. This is a period they're in. Jesus has seen follower after follower leave him. In John, and I love the numbers on this. John 6, 6, 6. John chapter 6, verse 66. John 6, 6, 6. This is what it says. It says, as a result of this, as a result of the difficulties and the pushback and the, and the, and the hardship, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. It's the norm for life. That's why Jesus challenges us in the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And he says, blessed are those, happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hang in there. You'll be glad you did. Then there's the, the, the seed that, follow, that, that, that falls on the, on the good soil that has all kinds of bad stuff in it. You see, good soil doesn't just nurture good things, it nurtures bad things as well. It says in, in, in verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way, they are choked out with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Isn't that an interesting phrase? With worries and riches. <laughs> with worries and riches. If we have a faith that is added to the good things of our life, you know, I've got a lot of good things in my life, and I just add Jesus Christ. 
And he's one of the best things in my life. If that is your scenario, then ultimately you will come to a life that disregards Jesus Christ, functionally speaking. You may still believe in him, but you don't go to him. You know why not? Because God doesn't demand your attention. The world demands your attention. If you've got a boat, you need to pay attention to the boat or you're wasting your money. If you've got an obligation, you've got, to go, you've, got to, you've got to check it out. You've got stewardship. There's a weight that comes with riches. That's why, as I told you last week in Luke 14, 18, you know, the master gives the banquet and he invites people and they've got all of these very good reasons why they can't come. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Well, that sounds totally reasonable, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like a responsible landowner? Yeah. Except it's taking him away from God, from paying attention to God. And in other, in other, uh, 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 the rest of the story, you know, I just bought a box, uh, a pair of oxen. I got to go look at it. I just got married. So I, I, you know, I can't be going to parties. I just got married. All very good reasons. Do you understand? The more of those you have, the more likely you're not to carve out a time that not only prioritizes God, but makes God the determining factor where to place everything else. Good things are good things. But good things unplaced around the throne who do not relate to your relationship with God will ultimately choke your relationship with God out. And you know what? God's many times not going to take away those good things. I mean, sometimes he will demand that you give something up. On rare occasions, a rich young ruler, you know, comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, obey the commandments. He said, done. I do that. Done. And Jesus, looking at his pride and looking at how much he loved his money, knew at least in this one case, he needed to see if he'd walk away from that. And he said, so sell every, all you have, give it to the poor, follow me. And the man went away sad. Why? The Bible says because he had so many riches. Now let's, let's take the most beneficial view of this guy. Let's say, look, that comes with a lot of responsibility. There were probably a lot of people depending on him. He probably felt an obligation to them. But the point is, unless you turn down the volume, somebody once said this, I love this. Maturity begins when you begin to realize that the volume knob turns to the left as well as to the right. Let me say that again. Maturity begins when you begin to realize that the volume knob turns to the left as well as to the right. The whole world is shouting at you what you ought to do. You need to turn to the left, not to the right. You need to turn the volume down on the world enough that you can hear that still, small voice that whispers to you after the storm that says God's not in the spectacular. God's not in the wind. He's not in the fire. He's not in the earthquake. He's a whisper. You need to listen. Well, 
Let's skip the wheat and the tares. You know, that, that, that'll just prolong the thing. Let's, let's go straight to the good soil. Luke chapter 8, verse 8. The other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. You know, we're going to fail a lot in our life if we're doing anything at all. But the few times we succeed <laughs> makes it all worthwhile. Because God multiplies this way beyond anything that's proportional or reasonable. It says, produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears, let him hear. The seed and the good soul, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold fast. In other words, they cultivate it. They, they want to see it come to fruition. And they bear, it bears fruit with perseverance. A couple of days ago, uh, I, uh, I was visited by a friend of mine. I, I belong to this Global Pastors Network. Um, we have senior pastors in some of the largest churches in the world, um, probably at least 75 to 100 countries are represented in this network. And once a year, we get together and we just swap stories as to what God's doing. It's probably the most encouraging thing you could possibly do. I haven't, I haven't been in a couple of years because I had other obligations uh, um, nationally, but, but uh, so he came to see me. His name is Elias. Elias, are you here, by the way? Any chance you're here this morning? He was going to come back up. He was going to South Florida. He's going to come back up if he could. I, okay, he didn't. All right, I got to tell you a couple of these stories on my own then. So I said, tell me what God's doing in the rest of the world. I wish you could have been in this room. He said, okay, just off the top of my head, let me tell you what's happening in Ukraine. He said, you know the war-torn war area of Ukraine, the, the, the Crimea where Russia's coming in and... and, and re-annexing that territory and there's war there and, and he said do you know that in the last few years 200 churches have been planted in that territory he said he said let me tell you a story about one of the church planters he said i i heard this was going on from our from our brothers in ukraine and so i said well who can i go see who's one of the church planters who's doing this they gave me a name and they gave me a dress. I went to Ukraine with a couple of friends. I spent three hours on the road going through no man's land. I mean, this is out in the middle of nowhere. I knock on this guy's door. He doesn't know who, who, who I am from Adam. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to explain why I'm here and coax out of him what he's been doing because everybody in this territory is paranoid and with good reason. So I knock on this guy's door. I, 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 um, I, I, I tell him that I'm from a global pastor's uh, network, uh, and he says, oh, I know who you are. Come on in. We've never met before. I said, how do you know who I am? He said, two years ago, the Lord gave me a vision that somebody from a global pastor's network would come and visit me to see what was going on. You're the man. And so he sits down. <laughs> Listen to this. He said, tell me what's going on. He said, how are you planting all these churches? And he said, well, we, sometimes we just gather in a spot and sometimes we, we rent a place. 
But it's better to buy a place if we can, because then at least we can stay a little while before they find some legal reason to kick you out. And he said, let me tell you about one of these places and how hard this is to do this. I know it's hard because this is the country, this is the territory where my father and my grandfather were tortured by the KGB. And he said, I, we just bought this, this place at this little park to build a church there to, for a church. I didn't know whether there's a building or they had to build it, but we just, we bought this place to, to build up the church. And he said it was such a sweet spot. I, I was so excited that I traveled a long distance to tell my father, who's still alive, and who had told me the stories of his torture. <laughs> I think it's the KGB. My dad said, so how are you doing? And he said, Dad, we're doing great. He said, tell me about the places you've planted churches recently. He said, well, I'll tell you. The most recent place we've, we've bought to build a church. He said, it's in this particular park. His dad just started pouring tears. His dad, he said, Dad, what are you crying for? He said, years ago, that's the spot where your grandfather and I were tortured. And we prayed during that torture that someday this place of torture would become a church. You can't make this stuff up. He talked to me. I, I wish I could do this all afternoon, and I probably could. Talk to me about Mongolia. He said, years ago, when I first went into Mongolia, there were like 60 Christians. All of the culture was not ripe for Christianity. All of it was hard ground. But those Christians were faithful. And they were evangelism-minded. And, they, and they, they spread their seed wherever it, they just sowed to the kingdom. With this prayer, God, if you will multiply the Christians in this country, we commit to you that for every 200 new Christians, we will send one as a missionary to other parts of the world. Today, there are 60,000 Christians in Mongolia is one of the leading missionary sending nations in the world. Mongolia. Let me, let me close it because there's a, there's, a, there's a video you just can't miss. And then I'm going to pray over us. The moral to the story <laughs> I remember this little kid that was in Sunday school and in third grade he had Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Brown would always tell the stories of Jesus and then when she got done you know she would say the moral to the story is she would always tell them the point as to how they could apply it well 
he graduated to Mrs. Smith's class in the fourth grade, and she told stories too, only she never added that last part, never said, this is the point, this is the moral to the story. And one day they asked this little boy how he liked his new teacher. He said, well, she's a good storyteller, but she's got no morals. <laughs> so I, I don't want to be the pastor who has no morals. So let me tell you the moral to the story. God gives us these great gifts because we are to seek out those who need what we have to offer. We can't always tell who those people are, so we have to sow indiscriminately. We have to give these great gifts of the gospel, whether they come through word or through action, acts of love, or whether they come just through faith. We've got to do that because you never know in the most unlikely character when that seed is going to land on good soil.